Welcome to First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show. Thank God it's Friday! Today, Lars puts you in the driver's seat. You talk about what you want to talk about. Government is the problem. No topic is off limits. We will make America great again. Call 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-HEY-LARS to speak your mind. Now, First Amendment Friday with Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show on First Amendment Friday, my favorite single day of the week because we open up the phone lines and every subject is fair game. And guess what? We get to start out with some breaking news from just about the last 90 minutes or so. And what does it have to do with another spy balloon? Oh, no. I'm sorry. I said spy balloon, didn't I? Remember, when the U.S. military or the Pentagon or the White House tells you something, you can trust it all the way to the bank. So what's happened? Well, you remember the spy balloon last year and when it was first discovered because a passenger on a commercial airliner looked out the window and saw the balloon and he began asking questions about it. Turns out the U.S. military had been tracking it from so, for some time. And it turns out the U.S. military knew exactly where it was coming from, and they likely knew what it was up to as well. And yet, what did we get from the White House and the Pentagon and the officials in the federal government? Oh, it's probably a weather balloon, just like China says. Yeah, they launched it from Hainan Island, which is off the south coast on the Pacific of China. And they know that the spy balloons get launched there. So you have a balloon floating over the United States, and the White House and the Pentagon say, oh, it's nothing to worry about. It's no big deal. It's probably not a spy balloon. It was. It probably doesn't have data-gathering equipment on it. It did. It probably isn't sending back real-time data to China. It was. In fact, it may have been sending it back through some of the commercial Internet networks here in the United States. Oh, and the fact that it was doing figure eights over some of our military bases and gathering radio information and other communications information. Nothing to worry about. And what does Joe Biden do? He lets the darn thing float across our entire country while just coincidentally floating over some of our military installations and other sensitive areas, but tells the public, don't worry about it. Guess what we just found out in the last 90 minutes or so? The U.S. military is tracking another balloon. This one's over Colorado. I mean, I don't have real-time tracking of it, so maybe it's over Wyoming instead of Colorado by now. But it's over Colorado, and what is the military saying? I, it just seems like we've seen this movie before, because the military said, oh, uh, we are keeping an eye on it, but we can tell you right now, nothing to worry about. There's no threat up there. Yeah, that's what they told us on the last balloon. You know, the one that had this giant uh, metal frame. It had solar panels. It had power sources. It had communications gear. It had apparently the ability to send real-time information back to China. But this one, this one will be different, right? Does anybody anymore believe much of anything that comes out of the Biden White House or the Biden Pentagon? I don't at this point. So they're tracking the balloon. They're not going to tell us the truth about this. Are they going to let this one float across the entire country again and then shoot it down off South Carolina like they did with the last one? Are they ever going to tell you the truth? In any case, be aware 
it's up there. Wave to the chai comes as they go by, because if Joe Biden stays in office another four years, China will probably end up owning the United States of America because Joe Biden sold out a long, long time ago for tens of millions of dollars that went to the China, went to the Biden crime family and eventually benefited Joe Biden. But is anybody going to actually do anything about that? Probably not. A shout out to our friends in Chico, California, who listen to this show and many other great talk shows on KPAY. That's Dino Corbin station. And they listen on FM 93.9. And you can find my show there Monday through Friday. On First Amendment Friday, your calls are welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And by the way, vote in our poll on X. Today is about as bizarre as we've ever had. And yes, it does remind us of Soylent Green. Because as we all know from a certain age, Soylent Green is people. So there's a, a piece in a magazine called New Scientist. It's not one of the serious scientific magazines like Scientific American. It's more popular science level science. But here's what they wrote. Is it time for a more subtle view on the ultimate taboo, cannibalism? I kid you not. I mean, you know they want you eating bugs one of these days, and now apparently they want to warm you up to the idea of maybe eating your neighbors or maybe even family members. Here's what the magazine says. New archaeological evidence shows that ancient humans ate each other surprisingly often, sometimes, believe it or not, for compassionate reasons. The findings give us an opportunity to reassess our views on cannibalism. You know what? I'm just going to say no. Are you ready to eat humans is our poll on X? I don't think so. But uh, we'll probably get at least a few naysayers who say, sure, sure, eat them with some fava beans or something. Today's poll on X is found at Lars Larson Show and is brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in. I joined a long time ago. You can join at amac.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC's better. Better for you and better for America. Let's start First Amendment Friday right with a naysayer. Wayne, welcome to the program. You know we love naysayers on this program. They always go first. What do you and I disagree about that makes you a naysayer? Well, you said the president can't use the U.S. military as a police force. Uh, Posse comitatus. Okay. Well, who was it stopped Herbert Hoover from sicking Douglas MacArthur and the cavalry on the Bonus Army in Washington, D.C.? 1932, I think it was. Uh, and, oh, I, I, I remember the stories about the Bonus Army, and, and you're right, that was quite a movement. But it generally next, says you can't use the military as a, as a civilian police force in the United States. Right. But he did. Well, and, uh, it, we've got a current president who's breaking a lot of the laws as well, don't we? Well, right. But what I'm going to say is another thing. Another example is what was the 101st Airborne doing in Little Rock, Arkansas in, what, 1960 or whenever it was? Uh, my question is, who's going to stop him from using the military as a police force? I would hope the minute he used the military as a police force against American citizens that there would be good conservatives who'd go to court and contest that and say, you can't do that. Let me go to Chuck. Chuck, it's First Amendment Friday. What's on your mind? Hey, I wanted to talk to you about that alleged weather balloon. 
<laughs> yeah. If, if the military's tracking it, why didn't they shoot it down as soon as it hit our airspace over the Pacific? If they're worried about collateral damage. Because Joe Biden is sold out to the damage, Chinese communists in Beijing. Uh, that's, the, that's my answer. And frankly, by the time it got to Colorado, the usual route these things take is they go up north. They launch at Hainan Island. Look it up on the, on the map, if you like. It'll track up to the north along the coast of China past uh, south of North Korea. Comes across the Aleutians. They should have shot it down in the Pacific Ocean up north before it ever got into Alaska, let alone came back. Now, I'm assuming it took about the same course that the other one took. But I have a feeling Joe Biden doesn't want to say uh, he's got to admit that his Chinese communist friends are spying on this country because they bought and bought and own him as of now. Chuck, thanks for the call. It's First Amendment Friday. Your calls are welcome. We'll get to more of them in a moment. We got a lot to talk about. And the president of El Salvador had an interesting warning about George Soros. You're going to want to hear it coming up next. Authors, experts, and a healthy dose of opinion. Find it at LarsLarson.com. They don't have a democratic mandate. If they want a seat in the table, they should run for office. Let the people vote. That is Naib Bukele, and maybe you've never heard of him before. I have to admit, I never heard of the Naib Bukele. He is the president of El Salvador. Now, if you'd ask me, what kind of country is El Salvador? I'd say probably either socialist or communist. But Naib Bukele is the elected president of El Salvador. And he had quite a warning that he gave to the Daily Caller News Foundation when they were talking to him about the fear that he sees that somebody like George Soros has an agenda for America, and that agenda is not good news. Take a listen. Who elected Soros to dictate public policy and laws? Why, why does he feel entitled to impose his agenda? Let me tell you something. Soros and his cronies hit a brick wall in El Salvador. Now, don't you wish that there were some American conservatives who were saying the same thing about Soros? I mean, I've warned you about this guy for a long, long time, literally years. He's a billionaire. He's quite old. He has a son who drank the same Kool-Aid that he did, and his son is now apparently running his billions of billions of dollars. And what is he doing? Well, he's launched efforts to elect district attorneys all over America who have agreed to run for office and then not prosecute criminals. He's backed up the Drug Policy Alliance that's trying to experiment with Americans and legalization of hard drugs as though what could possibly go wrong? Well, I could tell you what could possibly go wrong. Thousands and thousands of Americans dying of fentanyl and heroin and lots of other hard drugs. That That's what could go wrong. And George Soros is in it up to here on all kinds of other efforts, all of which I think add up to bad news for the United States of America. I just thought you'd appreciate that. I'm going to be watching for his name in the news in the weeks and years ahead. 
to your calls now on a First Amendment Friday at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. As always, naysayers go to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Let's go to Lane, first of all, in California. Hey, Lane, welcome to the program on a Friday. What's on your mind? Well, Lars, I'm wondering if you could educate me real quick. I'll try. Uh, In regards to all of these federal judges that are going against what seems to be going against the Constitution and the laws and um, finding Mr. Trump and prohibiting him from being on the ballot, things of that nature, do these do these gentlemen, do they ever have to face a judicial review or something of that nature and justify the decisions that they're making, such okay, as it, an attorney it, who would do something? It depends, it depends on whether they are federal judges or state judges, first of all. In the case of state judges like that lunatic in New York who decided to uh, find Trump guilty of fraud in a case in which there was no victim, no money lost, Nobody unhappy except Letitia James, and the judge finds Trump guilty and orders him to pay $355 million, and with interest and other costs, he's going to have to post more than $400 million just to appeal the case. He's a New York State judge. He's expect exactly what you would expect of an elected judge in New York State uh, because he's going to be political all day long. Now, on the federal judges, that's a different matter. Because federal judges are appointed for life. So when you hear about the cases that are before the federal judges, they are appointed for life. And can they be removed? Yes, they can be impeached from their office by an action of Congress. In fact, I think the last time I can remember a federal judge being impeached and removed was decades ago. If my memory serves, he was a uh, a federal judge removed by the Congress. Let me see. And uh, his last name was Hastings. Um, I, I don't remember his first name. I think it starts with an A. And then I think he ran for Congress. So can federal judges be over by slap down? Yeah. And the most direct way and the quickest way is is impeachment or or if a federal judge makes bad decisions, then those decisions get overturned by the appeals courts, the federal courts or ultimately the U.S. Supreme Court. So are they subject to review? Yes. Uh, is it an easy thing to do? I, I would say no. But in general, federal judges can are overseen primarily. They can be impeached, and uh, and uh, the U.S. Supreme Court can overturn them. So can the Appeal Court of Appeals. Does that answer your question? It, it does, Lars, very much. Um, it it well, seems I, like a lot of these judges are acting today without fear of retribution. Well, except except for one thing, Lane, one of the things they're willing to do is they get to kind of throw themselves on the grenade metaphorically. So you remember during Trump, Trump would say, we're going to ban people coming in from countries that have a lot of terrorism in them. I think it was seven or eight countries. And they said, well, that's a Muslim ban. No, it's not. There are 58 majority Muslim uh, countries on Earth. So he didn't ban people from 58 countries. He banned them from seven or eight countries that have a lot of terrorism. And a federal judge, and if I remember right, was in Hawaii, uh, declared that that was was unconstitutional. Now, he later got overturned. But for them, for the Democrats and the liberals, uh, especially those sitting on the bench, they're willing to do it. They effectively... either can't be fired or it's so hard to fire them that federal judges rarely get removed from the bench. So if one of them says, 
I'm going to find this unconstitutional. And you say, but judge, your honor, say one of his staff said, hey, your honor, you know you're going to you're likely to get overturned in this decision. He says, yeah, I don't care. It'll take a year or two for it to get overturned, may, may even have to go all the way to the Supreme Court, and maybe they'll hear the case and maybe they won't. But if what he's done, um, the only thing I could compare it to, Lane, would be if you had a cop in your city and the cop said, I am going to be death on drug dealers. So he pulls people over, say, without probable cause. He searches their car, finds the cocaine or the meth or the heroin, and his buddies say at, at the police station, say, hey, that case is going to get thrown out because you violated a bunch of rules. He says, yeah, but I took two pounds of cocaine off, off a bad guy, and he didn't get it back. It's that kind of approach. It's not, it's not in keeping with the law, but it's what they can get away with. And I think they're going to try to get away with anything they can. Lane, thanks for the call. Let's go to Sharon. Hey, Sharon, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. Hi. I just wanted to comment about the Chinese spy balloons. Um, I recently, well, about a year ago, I moved back to Texas because my grandkids were there. And I was doing a caregiving job, and I noticed a balloon out moving around. Well, it was the moon, but it was moving sideways. So I took a friend out there, and we looked at it. And you can tell because you can kind of see the inside of it. And and then I noticed it outside my apartment window. And then well, they hold moved. On. Sharon, okay, Sharon a weather balloon, or the spy balloon that was outside your apartment building? How it tall is a, your apartment building? It was a building? moon, a spy, oh. a, a spy moon in San Antonio, Texas. So okay. then recently, I moved, I sound like a flake, but I'm not. Recently, I moved back to Nevada because I've lived here off and on for 35 years. And I house set a house out in Washoe Valley in between Reno and Carson, you know, Reno and Carson City. Sure. And they have a, they have a dome light, like a dome, what do you call that? Um, you know how you have, I forgot the name of it. It's about, it's in, about, don't worry you know, about it. It's a, okay, anyway, the balloon was right over their house, but it was the moon, was shining through their, um, there with there that thing that you know it's but you're sure the because that the yes, the, 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 the china spy balloon sure. was was as we understand it was anywhere from 30,000 to 60 or 70,000 feet above the earth you're sure it was that that you saw no i'm sure what i saw and it was it was right over this skylight a skylight that's what i'm yeah. trying to look for a skylight and as i looked up it moved Hmm. And I can't get into it on the radio why they would be over that house, um, but you know I'm just saying that I've seen it. I've seen I've seen it here too in Nevada. It sounds very interesting, Sharon. Thank you very much. I appreciate the call. We'll get to more of your phone calls and emails. It's First Amendment Friday. Your calls are always welcome at eight six six A Lars. And on Fridays we like to have some fun. So vote in our poll on X. Left-wing scientists writing at New Scientist magazine say it's time we took another look at that taboo against cannibalism. Are you ready to eat humans? My answer is going to be an easy no on that one. You got the Lars Larson the Show. The Lars Larson Show. Happy kids heal faster. Your 
source for real red meat radio, the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show on First Amendment Friday. We'll get to your calls here in just a moment. I want to mention this because Joe Biden is gaslighting Americans so badly because he told a bunch of donors in California on Wednesday of this week. So he flies all the way to the West Coast to gather some money for the Democrat Party and for his own re-election campaign. Now, so uh, all that stuff about you shouldn't use fossil fuels, apparently that doesn't apply to Joe. So he shows up at this meeting with these Democrat donors. You know, where I would imagine if it's a one-on-one with the President of the United States, they're expecting some rather major checks to be written. And what does he tell them? He says, I've served with real racists during my decades in the Senate. He understands that one of the indictments of Joe Biden is that he is personally a gutless coward racist. His own vice president during the campaign called him out as a blatant racist. And I'm going to give you a few examples as well. He said, I've been a senator since 72. I've served with real racists. I've served with Strom Thurmond. I've served with all those guys who had terrible records on race. Yes, you have, and you've treated a lot of them like friends, Joe. And then he went on to say, but guess what? Those guys, these guys serving Republicans are worse. These guys do not believe in basic Democratic principles. Let me suggest something to you. Let's just go to the record and talk about what Joe Biden has said. Uh, for example, he was trying to explain why American Latinos might be resistant to the jab, COVID vaccination, so-called. Biden said, quote, they're worried they'll be vaccinated and deported. Hold on. You're talking about Americans there, Joe. They're not going to get deported. They're citizens. And then he was trying to explain why people are worried about taking vaccines. He said that blacks might be afraid of the COVID vaccine because of a history of shameful incidents He mentions the Tuskegee Airmen and others. He apparently got a little confused because the Tuskegee Airmen were actually legendary World War II fighter pilots. He was actually talking about the government's experimentation on black men in the study of syphilis, which was known as the Tuskegee Experiment. But Joe is just being Joe, as we all know. In 1977, and this is the one I quote all the time, Joe Biden said that forced busing, to this is after he was a U.S. senator, to desegregate the schools would harm his children, meaning Bo Biden and Hunter Biden, because his children would be forced to, quote, grow up in a racial jungle. Now, that's so ugly you just can't, can't believe it. In 2007, he famously referred to the man who would later become his boss as president of the United States when he was vice president, Barack Obama. And I'll quote it directly, and I'll quote it exactly. The first mainstream African-American who is articulate and bright and clean. What? Now, this is the guy saying, yeah, yeah, I've served with some races, but those Republicans, they're worse. He's also, and you remember in 2006, he said... You can't go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. He said that Trump was wrong to hold China accountable for the coronavirus pandemic. Why? Because he said Americans can't, quote, distinguish between a South Korean and someone from Beijing. This is all from Biden. So for all of you who think, oh, no, no, Joe's just a sweet old man. No, he's an unrepentant racist bigot. 
Uh, Biden's infrastructure bill is full of what they call anti-white racism. One point, a part of that $1.2 trillion bill tries to insert critical race theory, anti-white racism into multiple taxpayer funded programs. You understand what they're saying? If you want to be anti-racist, the logic on the Democrat side of the aisle is that you have to believe that white people are all oppressors and that black and brown people are simply incapable of getting ahead without some kind of assistance from the government. In another example, a disabled Wisconsin farmer sued the government because they told him you're not eligible for loan forgiveness as a farmer because you're white. They, they told him if you're a person of color, you're eligible. If not, you're not. And what did he say in 2010 about Senator Robert Byrd, the former Cyclops in the Ku Klux Klan? He said he was one of my mentors and that the Senate is a lesser place for his going. The Klan guy dies out of the Senate and uh, and Joe Biden says, oh, yeah, it's a lesser place because of that. This guy has said things like this over and over again. And then. In 2020, and we've run this sound about a thousand times, uh, Joe Biden was on what's known as The Breakfast Club, which is a radio show. I believe it's based in New York City. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, if you have a problem figuring out if you're for Trump or me, then you ain't black. Now, this is the guy who is then saying, oh, yeah, yeah, there's some racists who are Democrats and he's proud to serve with them and all that. But no, um, uh, they're worse. They're worse than we are. That's how crazy this is. Let me go now to Danny. Hey, Danny, welcome to First Amendment Friday. And if you want to jump into the conversation, it's 866-439-5277. Emails go to talk at LarsLarson.com. Danny, what's on your mind? Yeah, hey, Lars. I appreciate the discussion about Joe being a racist. We obviously know that he is. But, you know, what I'm wondering is the Trump marketing team is really good, but one thing that we've heard for three years from the Biden administration is that the border is secure. We've heard it yep. from KGP. We've heard it from Biden. We've heard it from Mayorkas. And now we hear that it's all of a sudden Trump's fault. So I'm wondering when the Trump marketing team is going to like post ads saying, hey, the border is secure, the border is secure. And then all of a sudden now it's Trump's fault. I'm a little bit confused about the... Uh, I think you're going to see it. I think you're going to see it very soon, Danny. It's a great question because up until about a week or 10 days ago, Trump was running against his opponents in the primary races. But we all know that in the next couple of weeks, uh, Nikki Haley is going to lose badly tomorrow in South Carolina. And then if she sticks around all the way to March 5th, which is going to take some, some more money from all these donors that don't really like Nikki Haley, but they want to get at Trump. If she stays in till Super Tuesday on on March 5th, uh, that that then at that point you shift the campaign because Trump becomes the presumptive nominee. And I think he's keeping his powder dry because a lot of this stuff, politics is so short term, Danny. I mean, there will be people, you know, when we get to post Labor Day of this year and we're into the last couple of months before the November election, that's when they really shift into full gear because you could run ads, lots of ads today, but I hate to say it, but an awful lot of the American public has a very short attention span and a very short memory. So, well, they do, we do. 
And and I'll admit it. I mean, I have the phenomena that I'll tell my you know producers we'll be looking at stories saying, "Hey, remember this?" And go, "Yeah, it was a while ago, wasn't it?" Yeah, it was like three months ago. I mean, you're you're because stuff is stuff is coming at us so fast and changes and crazy stuff. You know, like you got new scientists saying, "Hey, should we reconsider cannibalism?" And we got another spy balloon that the Pentagon is telling us, "Don't worry, it's nothing to worry about." And, and, and you say, okay, the crazy is almost off the scales right now. So I have a feeling the Trump team is going to come out with some gangbusters ads. But do you want to run ads in March and April and May? Or do you want to keep that powder dry until after the convention, right around Labor Day and heading into September and October and spend it where it's at? Because for most people, there are some people who say, I've already decided who I'm going to vote for in November. Okay, I have. I mean, Trump is my guy. And uh, it sure. isn't because I agree with everything he's done, because I've told my audience when I disagree with him. But I think he is the best president of the 21st century, a lot better than Biden. I mean, light years better than Biden and, and also better than Barack and Obama. Obama. So, yeah. so you know, all Joe Biden managed to do was take Jimmy Carter out of first place in the worst president in American history sweepstakes. But I think he's going to keep his powder dry, and I think his team is going to come up with some great messages. But it's a great question. Danny, thanks for the call, and thanks for listening. Back in a moment, are illegals getting free food and gift cards while you're struggling against Biden inflation? That's next. Whether you like it or not, with Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. One of the little detail numbers that you ought to know is that right now, Americans are spending a lot of money on groceries. And you say, Lars, we know that. We're spending a lot. But here's one way to measure it. How much of your paycheck, how much of an average family's paycheck goes to groceries? Well, if you measure that as a percentage of your income, it now comes out to north of about 10%, almost 11%. That is more of everybody's household budget than Americans have spent on food in about 30 years. So it's not just measuring the dollar figure you're spending. It's saying, when have Americans ever paid as big a percentage of their take-home pay as they're paying for a bag of groceries today? And the answer is, the last time it was this bad was 30 years ago, thanks to Joe Biden's inflation, what he likes to call Bidenomics. I thought we'd talk about that with Carolyn Fippen, who's running to replace Mitt Romney in the U.S. Senate, thank God, for the state of Utah. Carolyn, welcome back to the program. Hey, Lars, thanks for having me. So while all this is going on, Americans are spending record amounts of money just to put food on the table We've got the Biden administration giving away money to illegal aliens who've been imported into the country and who've invaded our country. Is that the bottom line? Oh, it's absolutely insane. I had somebody tell me how their neighbor, and this is a close friend of mine, who just out of the blue was telling me a story over the weekend about her neighbor who was down in California, got injured at uh, Disneyland and needed stitches, went into an ER and was told, and he was outside of his network, so would need to pay out of pocket, but right. was told if he did not show his ID, 
and he could claim to be an illegal alien, that it would be covered. You and I both know that all of the programs being instituted right now, the federal government is paying local governments, local organizations, local NGOs for all of these services that are being given. They are, and they're filling up. I mean, in some cases, Carolyn, I've talked about outfits in Arizona and Nevada where there are hospitals that are saying, we're going to have to close our emergency room. I mean, all hospitals in America for in the, in, you know, in modern times have paid a certain amount of charity care. They know a certain number of people are going to come in who have no insurance and no money, and the hospital is never going to collect the bill. So they just shift that to everybody else. But now these hospitals are being so overrun that literally they're going to say, we can't continue operating because there's no place to get the money from uh, because they're taking care of massive numbers of people who are illegally in the country. And we know that the Democrats in many of the blue states are trying to, you know, somehow get these people qualified for Medicaid. So in other words, where you've got Americans being denied medical care, Americans who are paying outrageous prices at the emergency room and in the hospitals and, and in the doctor's office, illegals are getting it on our dime. And and it's causing some of those institutions to actually collapse financially right in front of us. Well, think about it. I remember I used to work for the Utah State Legislature at one point, and I was having a conversation with somebody who worked in healthcare administration. And he said to me, look, we can't help it that, you know, we charge $200 for an aspirin because that is helping to cover the cost of all these other services. Every one of us is paying in one form or another, whether it's coming from government, whether it's coming from our health insurance costs, increasing to cover these bills and uh, money flowing from the industries, the businesses that we do business with, or they write it off. This is costing Americans every single time we turn around. Can you imagine if a private company like a restaurant, you walk in to have dinner and you get the bill and your, you know, your eyeballs fall out and you say, why is it so much? And they said, well, the owners decided to give away a whole bunch of free meals to people that he likes. And so we've just added all that to your tab. You know, customers would say, I'm never coming back here again. I won't do business. Unfortunately, we don't have that choice with government. So how do we get this to change, Carolyn, as you run, as you make your run uh, for Mitt Romney's old seat in the U.S. Senate? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, there are a lot of things that can be done. And frankly, when it comes to hospital systems, I, one Big thing that would change what's happening with the emergency department. I don't know how many of you have been to the emergency room in recent years, but you can't get in. It is hours and hours and hours because uh, part of that was Obamacare. All these people have coverage now, and they go for things that if they had to pay out of pocket, they would not be going for. And then the illegal aliens coming in. And so if we had some kind of system set up. There have been some court rulings that you can't deny some of this medical care, but we're not talking about life-threatening conditions either, right? We're talking about somebody with a bad, a bad case of the flu or, or some other, and you know what? I kind of wish they do, Carolyn, in, you know, when the military operates and people get wounded, they do triage. I mean, they literally will decide this guy's gone don't waste any yeah. time on him. And it sounds brutal yeah. to say that, but you say spend your time on the guy or gal whose life can be saved. And the guy who's got the scratch or the cut and he's not bleeding to death, 
Don't waste time on him either. We'll get to him later. And they do that. What if we had a triage system where hospitals literally said, you're in the emergency room. We've just, uh, you know, determined that you're not going to die. You're not, you're not having a heart attack. You're not in some kind of medical distress. Go down the hall to urgent care and you will pay at urgent care. We, uh, the system could do that if it chose to. Could it not within the law? Yes, that was exactly what I was going to say. There oh, I'm are sorry. Ways. I got in your way. <laughs> no, no, no. No, you, you said it better than I would have, but that is exactly what we can do. We can have these cases. We can make determinations in the hospital about where people go, right, in the emergency room or whatever yep. you want to call this, some kind of clearinghouse for these cases. And then people can be steered where they need to go. And those who, you know, I know people who, Go when it's covered. If they're not paying out of pocket, they will go for every sniffle that their child has to the emergency room. And then somebody who really has a problem is waiting. And again, we've just added to this burden with Obamacare and with uh, the illegal aliens coming across the board. By the way, so Carolyn, it, tell my audience where to find your website to help out your campaign in Utah. Yes. So it is mom for senate.com but i have to tell you i bought a new website today that i've steered toward mine and here's why so there there's somebody who just can't well a bunch of liberals can't stand me on twitter and i was told and mike actually finds this funny because i shared it with him i was told that i'm mike lee in a wig so i went and bought (laughs) mike Mike lee Lee in a wig wig (laughs) <laughs> and it goes to my website. <laughs> and Mike doesn't mind, right? Well, I haven't told him I did that. <laughs> that's that's I, pretty good. I mean, and, and in fact, wouldn't well, do you have Mike Lee's endorsement? Well, he's not endorsing right now, and I'll tell oh. you why. We have a we have I know we have a situation in Utah where we go through a delegate process through convention, and there are forty four hundred delegates and. Senator Lee trusts, you know, I worked for him for years. I consider him a friend. I think he considers me a friend. I actually texted him the tweet today, and he thought it was funny. He's got to do that. In fact, maybe you can get Mike to put on a wig and put his picture on the website, too. Carolyn Fippen running for Lars Larson Show. Welcome to First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show. Thank God it's Friday! Today, Lars puts you in the driver's seat. You talk about what you want to talk about. Government is the problem. No topic is off limits. We will make America great again. Call 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-HEY-LARS to speak your mind. Now, First Amendment Friday with Lars Larson. What happens when things are so bad that the prosecutors in one state have a criminal in their hands, in their custody, and they don't want to return him to the state where he allegedly committed a very serious crime? And the reason they don't want to send him back is because they don't trust the prosecutors in the second state that they'll actually take him and do something that means justice. I'm going to give you an example of that. This is this is so crazy. And this is what we get as a nation for tolerating things like George Soros, the billionaire, funding the D.A. campaigns of all these liberals who say, I want to be prosecutor in your community. And I promise that once I become the prosecutor, I will stop 
prosecuting criminals. And you know where it's happened. I mean, it's happened in so many places. It's happened in Chicago, Illinois. It's happened in New York. And that those prosecutors will be thoroughly political all day long. Well, the example is an Arizona prosecutor who is refusing and not budging as people try to push her a different direction. Uh, Rachel Mitchell has actually said to reporters that she will not return a murder suspect to the Manhattan DA, Alvin Bragg, who's liberal all day long and twice on Sunday, because she doesn't trust that if she sends this accused killer back to New York City, that they're going to actually keep him locked up. His name is Rod Almansuri. He is accused of two violent felonies. And she said, look, I'm, I'm not sending this guy back. He is going to face prosecution in New York if he is ever returned for a vicious killing at a hotel in the neighborhood known as Soho. That's the one south of Houston Street. But the problem is Alvin Bragg, he's soft on crime. And at least this Arizona prosecutor in Maricopa County, that's the most populous county in Arizona. About 60% of the people who live in Arizona live in that one county. And she said, this guy, Alvin Bragg, he's soft on crime. I don't trust that he's going to be kept in custody. He is accused of carjacking, stabbing a woman in Arizona, kidnapping and stabbing a McDonald's worker during a crime spree in the days after his accused, his alleged crimes in New York City at the Soho Hotel. Now, what happened there? Well, as reported by the New York Post, the string of attacks began February 7th. Amon Suri beat and strangled, allegedly, a 38-year-old woman, a mom from Queens, Denise Oleas Aranciba, who was working as an escort inside the Soho 54 Hotel. His rap sheet includes bus in Florida and in Texas, he then flew to Arizona, where he's accused of pulling off some more assaults, including an alleged murder rap that may get him a 20-year sentence in Arizona. Because Maricopa County actually knows what to do with criminals. New York City, under Alvin Bragg, not so very much. So my applause for Rachel Mitchell, the Maricopa County District Attorney, who says, if you're not going to hold him in custody, this guy is violent. He was allegedly violent in New York City, flies to Arizona, commits more crimes of, of violence, allegedly, and we're just not going to send him back because you won't hang on to him. And I think that's a perfectly legitimate reason not to send an accused criminal back to face justice if they're just going to turn him loose so he can go out and commit more crimes of violence. Glad to have you with me on a First Amendment Friday. Always glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. You can send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Tried to make that one easy to remember. Or you can vote in our poll on X. It used to be called the Twitter poll. And this one, I just couldn't believe this story. So New Scientist is a sort of a popular science level of magazine about science. And it always tends to tilt a little bit to the left. This time, I think they've gone off the edge. They wrote an article in which they said, is it time for a more subtle view on the ultimate taboo of cannibalism? I kid you not. They're actually suggesting maybe we should reconsider. Maybe it's not a bad idea to eat people now and then. 
And what they say, and I'll quote directly from the article, new archaeological evidence shows that ancient humans, not people today, other than Jeffrey Dahmer, ate each other surprisingly often and sometimes for compassionate reasons. The finding gives us an opportunity to reassess our views on the practice. So I decided to frame the question for you this way. Left-wing scientists now say it may be time to erase that taboo on cannibalism. Are you ready to eat humans? And yes, I've been getting a boatload of emails uh, and some calls as well from people saying, uh, people of my age who say, oh, so it's true. Soylent Green is people. And of course, there's probably at least a few Silence of the Lambs jokes in there as well. But this is crazy. I mean, there's a good reason, I think, for why people have always treated the death of other people differently than we treat the deaths of animals. I mean, in almost every state, I think it might be all 50 states, where it's illegal abuse of a corpse. If you do not properly care for somebody who has passed away, whether you're a family member, a friend, or the mortuary operator, that it's actually a criminal act to engage in not properly caring for a fellow human being who's passed away. And uh, and we take that very, very seriously. It's one of the reasons that a lot of us who are pro-life take this uh, issue out of Georgia. Donald Trump takes it as well. He wants to see IVF, you know, in vitro fertilization go forward so that childless couples can still have kids. But I also understand why lawmakers have looked at this and said, hey, we're not crazy about the idea that you make a whole bunch of fertilized human eggs and you turn them into fetuses and then you use a few of them to create new children, which is a wonderful thing. I've got friends who've had in vitro fertilization that produce their children. I think it's absolutely wonderful that we can make it possible for people to have kids who are infertile. But then what do you do with the leftovers? What, and because they're not just leftovers. They are the beginning cells and development of human beings. So do you tell the people who create these fetuses that uh, they have to do right by those fetuses? If they put them up and offer them up to other people so that they can say more infertile women or men are able to have children, okay, fine. I, I think that's perfectly acceptable. If you decide to simply dispose of them, like some piece of medical garbage that you want to get rid of, I think that's dead wrong. And I like Donald Trump's take on this. He wants to make sure that human beings and in vitro fertilization for childless couples is preserved, but at the same time, act respectfully toward human life. Human life is something extraordinary. It is life that was given to you by God, and we deserve to protect it and promote it, and we do not deserve to treat our fellow human beings like they're a piece of medical waste. So you can find the question on X at Lars Larson Show. Are you ready to start eating humans along with bugs? Boy, does the left have some crazy ideas for us. It's brought to you by AMAC. Join a great conservative group at amac.us or 888-262-2006. I've been a member of for years. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to the Lars Larson Show.
Join the best conversation in talk journalism at 866-HEY-LARS. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a First Amendment Friday, and I'm always glad to talk to my friend Kristen Toto about movies. But, you know, I have to, I feel a bit sorry for Kristen because he knows that, you know, on a regular basis, he's going to have to hear some Alec Baldwin rant from me. And, and, I've got, and I've got one that, you know, but before we get to drive away dolls or ordinary angels or any of that, Christian, you know, this thing just gets worse and worse for Baldwin. Apparently the armorer, the young lady who apparently didn't do her job very well, in my view, of being the safety person and armorer person on the set of the movie Rust, when Alec Baldwin managed to allegedly kill a woman, um, that she's now testified that this joker sat there in the safety, the mandatory safety briefings and uh, posted things on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, did his social media, swapped text messages, and generally didn't at all pay attention to what she was saying. And then he ends up killing somebody. Uh, and that's pretty telling to me. It's an awful look. It's an awful anecdote. I wonder if she can get anyone else on set to corroborate that. It's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a bombshell, I think. I mean, it just really does point to... The potential that he wasn't really paying attention, that he was checked out, that he wasn't doing his due diligence as an actor and as a producer because he was co-producing that movie. So, yeah, it's uh, it's the first time I'm hearing about it. I think it, I think it went wide this week, and uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how that impacts this trial. I guess I just think of it this way. Look, Christian, there are a lot of these mandatory, you know, trainings you have to take. I mean, I work for a company and they'll occasionally say, you got to take this mandatory training on harassment or bullying or this or that, not because I've done anything wrong, but they just basically say, so we can say that you took the course. Okay, fine. I'll take the course. Um, I understand when people get a little frustrated with that stuff, but when you're on a movie set with real firearms and you have a real safety briefing, I'd suggest that's something a little bit different than the kind of nonsense that sometimes HR departments shovel out at big companies. The stakes are infinitely higher, and the fact that he's wearing two hats on the set means he really, even if you fake it for crying out loud, pay attention, pretend you're paying attention, get get involved, uh, you know, observe what's going on. And, you know, even though he's a veteran actor and even though he's done a lot of action movies, I would imagine each set is different, each weapon is different, each situation is different. And uh, you got to listen to the armorer. They're, they're the one responsible. You know, I spoke to an armorer shortly after this horrible tragedy, and he talked about how he had a producer call him up after the shooting, and he said, oh, my gosh, I, I was so angry at you for being so uh, persnickety with the details, but no. thank, goodness, thank goodness you did that. You were right. I was wrong. And uh, just kind of an interesting reaction about what, what what's going yeah, on. Yeah, you have that there, but for the grace of God, go I. Because, you <sighs> yeah, know, yeah. there there aren't, I guess there aren't often real gigantic tragedies. Uh, but, but occasionally when they happen, I'll bet everybody who works in movies thinks, yep, that's the one where I should be paying really close attention on the next film. Let's hope it works out that way. Uh, let's talk about this movie called Drive Away Dolls. Uh, haven't seen it. Uh, you have. Is that right? Yeah, you know, this is from the Cohen brother, not to one. The Cohen brothers have made some of the best films the last 30 years. I love them to death. Uh, they're super talented. They, they took a brief uh, solo uh, adventure. I, I think that uh, Joel did uh, a Macbeth movie a year or two ago, and now Ethan Cohen is doing this. And you think, oh, well, you know, they're, they're super talented. What could they do, you know, with separately? Maybe there's, this is worthwhile. This is a horrible movie. I hated this movie. <laughs> 
And on paper, it sounds good. It's a, uh, a bit of a road trip film. These two friends, uh, they're going off in this car that they borrowed. Turns out there's something in the trunk that's not supposed to be there. At least they're not supposed to be in possession of it. And the bad guys start to chase them. It sounds like a breezy, funny, uh, a bit of action, a bit of danger involved. The kind of movie that could be fun and entertaining. It's under 90 minutes. I like that about it. But it is chock full of jokes that don't land. The characters don't make sense. Uh, there's not much thrill here. It's just an awful, terrible movie. And listen, the best actors make bad movies. The best directors make bad movies, too. Uh, hopefully, Ethan Cohen will bounce back after this one, because this is a disaster. You know that occasionally I don't hold back from asking you questions you may or may not be able to answer, but I'm curious. Cohen Brothers has gone together. I mean, it's it's been the Cohen Brothers. Why did they decide to go out and go solo? Maybe there's a backstory I don't know about that you do, but is there an explanation? I don't think there's anything dramatic. I think they just wanted to try something new. And also, I believe they're going to be reuniting very soon. They're talking about making a horror film together, which is very interesting because they're very talented together, obviously, wow. uh, with what they've done in the past. So I don't think there's anything uh, uh, you know, behind the scenes that's you know, terrible or there's a split. Or a fr- I, don't, I don't sense any of that at all. It's certainly possible. I don't don't discount it, but I, I just think they wanted to try something different. And listen, they've been working together for decades, and they wanted to see what they could do separately. And uh, <laughs> if I'm even going, I've got my brother back on speed dial this weekend. And by the way, I, I saw a little video the other day about Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Which I didn't realize, but apparently the soundtrack, I mean, it was a great soundtrack for the movie, and, and the songs are fun and, and, and old and all that, and, and I enjoyed the music. I didn't realize it became sort of a number one soundtrack album for a long time. And then who did I see explain this? One of the actors involved was saying, yeah, uh, and when you take songs that are actually real songs written by real people, uh, that the people who've sung them before, apparently, you know, they get some, some of the money as well. And he said they literally looked up this guy who'd actually been on a chain gang, a real chain gang at one point. And they, they apparently said, you're the only guy we can find who actually sang this song in real life. So they showed up and handed him a check for 700 grand from the proceeds oh of the soundtrack. And I thought, that's a great story. And then my next question is usually, but is it real? Because so much <laughs> that you see like that isn't real, but it's a great story if true. Yeah, you know, I didn't hear enough about to confirm it. I, it sounds very plausible. You know, we've seen in recent years when a, a popular TV show like Stranger Things will, uh, you know, resurface a, a song. I think Kate Bush had a song on that TV show. Then all of a sudden she's back in the charts, and I'm sure she's making a, a significant amount of money from that. So, yeah, it's, it's very possible. I, I would hate that they would leak that story, and it wouldn't be true. That would be rather poor taste, to say the very least. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cross my fingers and say that's just a great anecdote. Well, just for everybody else, there's lots of interesting stuff that I see on social media. And it's wonderful when it's true, and it's terrible when somebody's yeah. decided to stretch the story and you think, okay, it's just a made-up story. Uh, then tell me it's a made-up story. Uh, how about Ordinary Angels? Is that any better than Driveway Dolls? Anything is better than Driveway Dolls. This one actually <laughs> is a very good film. Based on a true story, it's about a little girl who needs a liver transplant. She's very sick. Uh, her father is a widower. He's losing money. He can barely keep up with the bills. And a, a woman enters his life, not romantically speaking, but just a, a, a local person in the community who wants to help. And she's had hard times. She's struggling. She's looking for something good and noble to do. And this is a woman played by Hillary Swank. And she tries to help this family, but there are so many obstacles in the way. 
It's a wonderful film. And, you know, this is a, I would, I'm calling it a faith kissed movie. There's a bit of faith here, but it's not overwhelming. But also I think with those kinds of movies, sometimes they're, they're too sticky sweet. They don't have the rough edges that life uh, holds for all of us. But this one has that. It's got some integrity. It's got some culture and depth. It's, it's quite good. And uh, Alan Richson, by the way, is the, is the widower oh. here, because we know from Reacher. Yep. <laughs> quite a different character, a very dialed down performance, a beautiful performance. This is a sweet film. I hope it does well this weekend. You know what? I like, I, like, I like his character in Reacher. I finally, I, you know, my wife and I buzzed through the, uh, you know, the two seasons that are available, and I can't wait for the next one, although I don't know where they're going to take it exactly, but I, I highly recommend that series. It's, it's got a great heart. Yes, there are people, things that he does that are illegal and all that, but he's the good guy, so he can get away with doing that. I like how they handled uh, Lee Child's books because I've enjoyed Lee Child's Reacher series forever. And now I guess his son is carrying on the, uh, the tradition as well by, by writing more of them. But it's, it's, it is a very well-done series, and I was very impressed. And he looks a little bit more like the character in the book than Tom Cruise did. Not you Tom think? Star two Jack Reacher because <laughs> he's six foot bad, five and, and spends all his time in the gym. They they <laughs> said he had to put on thirty pounds, but with no body fat. Basically, he went to the gym, probably ate oh. tuna fish and and chicken and and no bread for six months. But he really built himself up to be the real Reacher. That's Christian Toto from the Hollywood and Toto podcast, our regular guy to go to when it comes to movies. Coming up in a moment. You got the Lars Larson Show. We'll get to your phone calls and emails. The Lars Larson Show. Are you looking for more in this world? Get enough, Lars? Follow him on Twitter at Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails. As we say, we promise that this is the best conversation in talk journalism, and you can be part of it. 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. You can send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com, and you, you can rest assured that every single day, naysayers go to the head of the line now sometimes i have to explain that to people if you disagree with my point of view on something or something i've said i'm glad to have you call and do your best to counter my arguments and if i'm not ready for that then my argument's not ready either in any case i want to tell you about this can you imagine going shopping in a store and being told by the people in the store you can shop, but we're going to send a minder along with you to keep an eye on you to make sure you're not stealing anything. Now, this is not necessarily uncommon elsewhere, but in America, it's something brand new and it's actually happening here. But it is First Amendment Friday. I want to grab some of your calls first. Let's go to Tom. Hey, Tom, welcome to the Lars Larson Show on First Amendment Friday. What's on your mind? Well, it came to me a couple hours ago, and I thought every October I get something in the mail. That's due November 15th. Property that's taxes. your property tax. Yes, sir. And I got to thinking of Trump, Mar-a-Lago. Doesn't he get an assessed value on his property? 
I'm and sure he does. So, the, the thing I don't know, Tom, and let me throw this in because I think it's relevant. In some places, they put the actual something close to the actual market value on as the taxable valuation. In other places, depending on the state, and I don't know if this is true in Florida or not, uh, they, they will put on an assessed valuation, which may or may not be close to the actual value or not, because I've run into that before. When I've been, uh, I mean, a long time ago when I bought a house, I, I was looking at the property tax valuation, and it was it was lower than the price. And I asked about that, and the real estate agent said, well, you know, here they used assessed valuation, and, and there may even be state laws, there are in some cases, that limit how much they can increase the valuation every year. But you're right. And nobody believes that Mar-a-Lago is only worth 18 million bucks or 17, whatever the number was that Letitia James slapped on it. That's what you're talking about, right? And not only that, why would somebody in New York be telling you what the value is? You need to be talking to people in Florida. You're right about that. But I guess, Tom, the biggest objection I've got to that whole fraud case is imagine a fraud case where you say, well, who was defrauded? Well, no one. How much money was lost? Uh, none. Uh, were the people who were allegedly defrauded, the banks, were they unhappy with Trump? No, they actually testified that they'd be happy to loan him money again. They liked the arrangement. And I'll point out one other thing that didn't get mentioned a lot, Tom. When Trump took those loans out from the banks that were either paid back on time or in some cases were even paid back ahead of time, the banks knew that. I mean, they, they thought, this guy's a great customer. He borrows money from us. He either pays back on time or ahead of time. But in the valuations that his company offered to the bank, you know, just like somebody's, if you're selling your house and your real estate guy says, well, how much do you think your house is worth? Well, you know, based on other houses like it, it's probably worth this much, $500,000, $600,000. That, that he put, that his lawyers, I think, to cover their backside, had put into the valuations, it is up to you, the bank, to decide that these valuations are valid or not. And the bank is, you know, you can't buy a, a house for yourself. You go to the bank and say, I want to buy this house. Well, how much is it worth? 500000 Okay, how much do you want to borrow? Uh, 80% of that. I want to borrow 80%, put 20% down. The bank's going to say, that's great as long as the appraisal shows it's actually worth that. All those banks could have had his properties appraised if they didn't trust him, but they clearly trusted him. So you've got a case, a political case, brought by Letitia James uh, that was based on fraud where there was no fraud, victim where there was no victim, dollar loss where there was no dollar loss, and where all the parties could have double-checked the valuations and chose not to. I mean, it's kind of a stupid situation. Let's go to uh, Josh. Hey, Josh, welcome to First Amendment Friday. What's on your mind? You know, I just had a question, or I was seeking kind of what you you thought with Nikki Haley not dropping out of the uh, presidential um, primary. Yep. And um, with that, you know, the um, sore loser laws that exist in states. Now, I was looking on, on, you know, various websites saying, you know, these do not apply to presidential elections. And I've heard other people say otherwise. So I didn't know if you had any knowledge on if a sore loser law would allow to Nikki, apply to Nikki Haley where you know, she could, you know, try to jump on the independent ticket or something, anything to get on the ballot after, you know, losing this primary. 
Yeah, I, I honestly don't know. I know about the laws. They basically say if you run in the primary election you and then you lose, you can't run as an independent or some other party uh, to run again. Now, clearly, that's happened. It's happened in Alaska. It's happened in Mississippi. It's happened in other states where you have somebody who loses and then decides to run as an independent or some other party label. I don't know if it would apply to Nikki Haley at all, or at, at all, but you know why she's staying in the race, right? No, I don't. I actually okay. thought my I can, theory. I can, I can tell you why. I can tell you why. Imagine if in your hometown you had somebody running for mayor, but there were some people in the town with a lot of money who just hated that guy. And they said to you, Josh, Josh, we want you to run for mayor. And you said, I'm not going to win. They said, you don't have to win. We just want you to run against him, damage him as much as you can, make him spend as much money as he can against you. We want you to be basically a spoiler. And you said, well, how would I run for office? They said, don't worry. We'll provide you all the money you need to run your campaign. And you just run. And it'd be better if you won. But even if you don't win, you'll serve a purpose. That, I think, is the deal with the devil that Nikki Haley has cut. She's agreed to run in a race that she is virtually guaranteed to lose. And she's backed up by a bunch of people with money who are, they claim to be conservatives or Republicans, but they're really not. They, they can't stand Trump because Trump and his battle against the deep state and the corruption in government, that stands to cost them a lot of money. So they say, well, let's get a spoiler to go in and see if we can mess it up. That makes sense. Thank you. Yeah, politics is dirty. <laughs> it, it is very, and, and getting dirtier all the time. Let me tell you about what's going on in this case I mentioned. You walk into a store and they say, you will have this minder with you who's going to keep an eye on you to make sure you don't steal anything. Now, if a store told me that, I'd walk out the door. But in San Francisco, where they have stores that are going out of business right and left, major chains that are pulling out of the city. And why? Because there is such rampant theft in that city and many big American cities that stores are going out of business. So, One San Francisco store that's been there for a while, I've never been in it, but it's called Fredrickson's Hardware and Paint. So it's a hardware store. They have put up a sign that announces that during certain hours, it will take customers one at a time, and they will be walked around the store to pick up what they want. And you know what it reminded me of? More than 30 years ago, I followed a charity group that was going to Russia to take medical supplies in as a a charitable enterprise. They're called Medical Teams International. And we went to the Soviet Far East, Siberia, in the middle of either January or February. I can't remember what. All I remember is it was cold as anything outside. And uh, while we were there, the photographer and I, I, because I was working in TV, we went to a few stores. We went to grocery stores where... You could walk around and you wouldn't see anything necessarily. If you went to the front counter, the way you bought your groceries, you gave them a list of what you wanted. Two pounds of hamburger, a loaf of bread, a gallon of milk, whatever. You gave them the list. They tallied up the list. They collected the money from you. And then they went and got the goods. And if you say, well, that's crazy. That would never happen in America. Let me ask you, how do you buy gasoline? Do you remember when you used to be able to drive into a filling station Put the nozzle in the tank, fill up your tank, and then go in and pay. Can you name a place in America where you can still buy gasoline that way now? Or are all the places saying you pay first, you put the gas in your tank second? You're listening to The Lars Larson Show.
Tschüss. Is your radio too far away? Just tell Alexa, play the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. And believe it or not, the despicable United Nations, and we ought to cut them off tomorrow or yesterday, they now want to condemn Israel for occupying part of Israel that we call Gaza. Which, by the way, I know everybody calls it Gaza. It is part of the state of Israel. And the United Nations has about 50 different countries. I mean, that place is full of thugs and dictators who say, let's condemn Israel for occupying part of Israel. So I thought the perfect guy to talk to about that is my friend Ari Hoffman, just back from the Holy Land, my fellow talker from the People's Republic of Seattle. Ari, welcome back to the show. (laughs) Always a pleasure to be here, buddy. I mean, what is going on? I wish reporters would start to say uh, it's Gaza, which is part of Israel, or just say it's Israel, otherwise known uh, that little corner as Gaza. It is part of the state of Israel. I know that someday the Palestinian terrorists hope to make it their homeland after they're done destroying the rest of the country. But this is absolutely nuts that they're saying we're going to condemn Israel for being in part of Israel. How long till they start condemning America for occupying parts of Arizona and Texas and Southern California that actually belong to Mexico? I mean, is that the next step for these reporters? Well, let's go a little biblical because we're heading into the weekend and people are going to synagogue on Saturday and people going to church on Sunday. So where does the word Palestine, Palestine come from? It comes from the Palestine or the Philistines that were the biblical enemy of the Hebrews or the Jews who lived in Israel. They were wiped out by the Babylonians around the same time the first temple was destroyed. And then what happened was the Romans, when they destroyed the second temple, were so ticked off at the Jews after the Bar Kokhba rebellion, they said, we're going to rename this whole place after your mortal enemies and name it Palestine, 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 after the Plishtim, after the Philistines. That's what happens. Now I'm going to tell you something, Lars. I went up to the Temple Mount for the first time in my life, never been up there, and I wasn't allowed to pray. I'm not allowed to go to certain parts of it. Why? Because the Waqf, which is the Muslim control group up there, won't let me pray on my own Temple Mount, the place where the Jewish Temple stood for centuries, the place which is in Jerusalem. I'm not allowed to pray up there. So if you want to know what a Palestinian state would be like, it's not going to let any Jews in, just like Gaza doesn't allow any Jews in, just like the West Bank doesn't allow any Jews in. And which part of Israel does the West Bank, which part does it control? The traditional part, Judea and Samaria. That's where the West Bank is right now. Yep. And by the way, there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot going on in the world right now that is very, very biblical. And I remind people who say, oh, why are we defending Israel? I say, well, hold on. Even if you don't want to say, you know, uh, the Jewish people have a right to go back to their historic homeland of 6,000 years, are you going to apply that rule to Native Americans in America and say just the fact that you lived here for thousands of years, that doesn't give you some special claim. Let's take the reservations away. I actually threw that one at a liberal uh, lady one night who was bugging me about this subject. I don't think she knew what I did for a living. And I said, oh. The fact that they live there for thousands of years. She said, that doesn't matter. I said, try telling that to the Native Americans. She looked like I'd hit her upside the head with a two by four. She's like, oh, okay, I guess my own argument has come back and bit me in the backside. But you just <laughs> came back and you saw some amazing things while you're there, right? 
Yeah, we actually took a tour of everything that happened in the South on October 7th. So I went to the Nova Festival, the site of the music festival. And, I mean, the whole thing has basically been turned into a massive memorial, a makeshift memorial, where there are stakes in the ground with pictures on them of the people who are held hostage, of the kids who are held hostage, or the kids who are killed. I mean, you can see where everything happened. You can see how exposed they were. You can see how they were out in the open. I mean, for the people, your listeners in Seattle, imagine Seafair. Imagine if, God forbid, a whole bunch of terrorists showed up at Seafair, how exposed you'd be. That's exactly what it's like. And then you don't have water on one side. So they had that problem. I also went to see Stay Road. Stay Road is a town four kilometers away from Gaza, and that was invaded by terrorists. And I saw the hole in the ground that used to be the police station, which is where terrorists invaded the police station. The police fought back against them. And when terrorists took over the police station, Israel made the decision to bring down the entire building on top of 26 terrorists to take them out. I saw a synagogue. It's a Chabad. Chabads are all over the place. The one in Stay Road, it's got bullet holes in it. The terrorists didn't attack military installations. They went after one military base, but the majority of the things they went after were music festivals, synagogues, towns. They went after civilians. Where's the U.N. condemning that? Where's the U.N. condemning what they did to women, what they did to men, what they did to children? That damning report that came out this week about the rapes and everything else that happened. It's so graphic. It's so awful. I don't hear the U.N. talking about any of that. Instead, what are they doing? Blaming the Jews. And you don't hear Joe Biden taking the usual leadership role that the Amer- that the United States has taken for about the last 100 years in the world. When something is going wrong, you come out as the United States and you say, this has to be fixed. And the first thing that has to happen is release the hostages. Second should be the surrender of the terrorists or the extermination of the terrorists. And Joe Biden isn't doing that either, except he's got an election he wants to win. So do you think he's maybe going to change his tune in the next short time? No, because he's worried about losing his progressive base, which is the Rashida Tlaibs and Ilhan Omars of the world, and they're against Israel. So the reason you hear him talking about a Palestinian state, which, as Brian Mast revealed, Congressman Brian Mast revealed, they have no idea what they mean with that. They don't know what Fatah is. They don't know who the Palestinian Authority is. They don't know who Palestinian Islamic Jihad is. They don't know anything about that kind of stuff. They just like the idea of a Palestinian state. So you're going to reward the people who massacred 1,200 civilians, took another 250 hostage, you're going to reward them with a state? That's like giving al-Qaeda a state after 9-11 as a reward. Well, and, and, and that's the danger of negotiating with terrorists. I mean, the U.S. had for a long time till Obama said, we don't negotiate with terrorists. And the reason is, the first time you pay these extortionists who say, we're going to blow things up and then demand things. And if you pay them off, they'll say, hey, this works. Let's blow up more things. Let's take more people hostage. This isn't just a threat to the state of Israel. Meanwhile, back here in America, they're now saying that if you are somebody who believes that your rights come from God, that they're God-given rights, as the founders believed, uh, and they say, no, your rights don't come from God. If you believe that and you're a Christian, you are a Christian nationalist, and they are condemning about 70% of the population that believe, I mean, if you've studied the Constitution all, if you've studied America's founding, the founders didn't think that our rights came from a piece of paper. They said these are God-given rights. The piece of paper is there to hold the government back from messing with God-given rights. And they've now said, if you believe in that, you're a you're a, a, a Christian nationalist and they're condemning people. They're condemning effectively most of America. 
they hate religion. The left hates religion. Why? Because people, it creates family. It creates people who have a community group together. They hate that. They want you worshiping the state. They want you worshiping an ideology. They don't want you worshiping Jesus or Yahweh or Hashem or any of the other kind of gods out there, whatever name we have for them. They don't want any of that. They want you worshiping the state. They want you to be in the religion of socialism, not Judaism. They want you to be in the, the Marxist religion. That's what they're looking for. So by destroying the church. Look at everything they do to go after the church. That's right. Ari Hoffman. Ari, I gotta hit that break. That's Ari Hoffman, my buddy, my talk buddy from Seattle at Talk Radio 570. Back in a moment. I'll get to your phone calls and emails. The Lars Larson Show. Welcome to First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show. Thank God it's Friday! Today, Lars puts you in the driver's seat. You talk about what you want to talk about. Government is the problem. No topic is off limits. We will make America great again. Call 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-HEY-LARS to speak your mind. Now, First Amendment Friday with Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show on my favorite day of the week. That's First Amendment Friday. We open up the phone lines and every subject is fair game. And let me tell you about fair game. I want to start with our X poll. We put up a brand new poll question on X every day from the news of the day. Now, be ready for this one. Usually it's something about taxes, illegal aliens, uh, COVID jabs, whatever it is. This one's kind of crazy, but that's what makes it such a great question. Left-wing scientists are now writing articles saying it's time to erase that old fogey taboo against cannibalism. That's right. Yeah, the left-wing out there, they not only want you eating bugs, are you ready to eat humans? Now, I'm going to answer that one. No, you can answer any way you like. We may get a more solid response on this X poll than we do on most days of the week. Usually, there's a little bit of a split between the yes and the no. How many of you are ready to start eating humans? The article in New Scientist says it is time for a more subtle view on the ultimate taboo, cannibalism. New archaeological evidence shows that ancient humans ate each other surprisingly often, sometimes for compassionate reasons. The finds give us an opportunity to reassess our views. Now, I think that's absolutely horrific, but you can think whatever you want. As usual, on First Amendment Friday, your phone calls and emails are welcome. And if I get naysayers, you know, folks who disagree, I'm going to put you right to the head of the list at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. I want to start with something that's a little bit inside baseball. This is the year that I mark 49 years as a reporter or a journalist. I was a reporter. I kept my opinion out. Now I do a talk show. I put my opinion in, but we label it as an opinion show. But I still am concerned about what's happening to journalism. Guess what? 
Third world dictators are the kind of people who like to declare war on the press and individual reporters who are investigating people in power. Well, now it appears that the Biden administration may be doing the same kind of thing. I want to tell you about a story that first broke a couple of days ago, and we mentioned it on the show. It involves a young lady who's been on this show a number of times, Catherine Herridge. She is one of the best investigative reporters in America. She used to work for Fox News. In fact, she's still fighting one court fight that involves her departure from Fox News and investigations by the government. Then she went to work for CBS. Well, CBS, like so many companies, appears to have fallen on hard times. The parent company, Paramount, and CBS decided just a couple of weeks ago to lay off 800 people, including this star investigative reporter. Now, it might strike you as a little strange. We all understand when big companies go out, they get into financial trouble and they have to do layoffs. I get that. But it seems a little strange, and it seems strange at the time, and I said so. When you have a big company like CBS that employs a lot of people, uh, many of them are photographers and editors and producers and all kinds of jobs that you have at a TV network, but you only have a very few star talent like Catherine Herridge, especially somebody who has been dogged in her reporting on some of the biggest stories in America. So what happens? CBS decides to lay off 800 people, and one of them just happens to be investigative reporter Catherine Herridge. But then they did something that I've checked with my friends in media and in journalism. Nobody I know has ever heard of such a thing, that when a, an organization that employs journalists decides to lay somebody off, CBS seized her personal belongings. They seized her files, they seized her computers, they seized her contact information for her sources. Now, you understand, when I was a day-to-day -day reporter, I had sources who'd call me up. It's not that mysterious. It sounds like something out of a movie, but it's really not. And usually the people who reach out to you are people who are reaching out to you because they say something very wrong is going on, but I can't do anything about it. I mean, you work within an organization like a police department, a sheriff's department, city hall, the state legislature, the U.S. Capitol, or heck, even the White House. And you say, this is wrong. They're doing it. But if you connect this back to me, I, the source, I'm going to end up without a job. I'm going to end up unemployable. So that's how leaks happen. And you safeguard your sources very, very carefully. So what did they do? They took all of her files, all of her computers, and information on her privileged sources. Now, what was it that Catherine Herridge was working on most recently? She was going after stories that were not exactly friendly to the Biden White House and an awful lot of very powerful people in high positions among the Democrats, including the Her report. Robert Her did the report on Joe Biden, on his diminished mental capacity, on his theft of classified documents, the Biden corruption scandal, you know, the Biden crime family that we talk about all the time, the Hunter Biden laptop, all of that. This was what Catherine Herridge was working on. Now, other reporters were working on it as well. But imagine what you do to a reporter when you say, number one, you're fired. Number two, the paycheck stopped. But number three, we're taking all your stuff. Now, I understand I've worked in media my basically my entire life. And when you leave a network, when you leave a radio station, 
the recordings you've made, the shows you produced, that all belongs to the network or to the radio or TV station. I've had to leave behind some of my best work, but it was there, it was out on the air, and, and it was done. But it didn't belong to me. It belonged to the TV station or the network. In this case, they're not taking that. I wouldn't dispute that CBS owns every news broadcast they've ever done, even the ones featuring Catherine Herridge's stories. What they took was something else. They took away information she needs to continue tracking very important stories. Now, if you lay off a reporter like Catherine Herridge, nobody in my business expects her to disappear. She's going to turn up again, probably in a nice high-profile position at another network that has not run itself into the financial ditch like CBS did. They'll have the money to actually pay her. But when they decide to lay her off and then just coincidentally and simultaneously decide to steal her personal information, something that, as I said, I've checked around, there isn't any indication I can find that this has ever happened in American journalism before. And who might be driving the need to take away all those files and those contacts from Catherine Herridge? Do you suppose... It might just be the Biden White House. And do you suppose the Biden White House has any friends at the very liberal, formerly great CBS network? Yeah, I can tell you they do. I mean, an awful lot of the people who are running big media companies are not friendly at all to conservatives. And Catherine Herridge is that. They're not friendly at all to investigative journalism that actually threatens those in power. And you can see, if you want to call this the deep state, go ahead and call it the deep state. But this is absolutely outrageous, and CBS has a lot of explaining to do. It's First Amendment Friday. Glad to get your calls. 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LawrenceLarson.com. Go to the head of the line at the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Before we talk about student loan payoffs for deadbeats who don't want to pay their own student loans, which we're going to do in just a moment, I've got to mention this. We just got word the U.S. military is tracking a high-altitude balloon over Colorado. Now, that's the military is tracking the balloon. Now, the military aircraft have apparently gone up to take a look. They say, oh, it's not a threat. Of course, I'd remind you, that's exactly what the military and what the U.S. government said about the spy balloon that was sent over by China, that it was a weather balloon, that it really wasn't a threat, it wasn't doing anything wrong. It just happened to fly over some of our most sensitive military installations before the military shot it down off the East Coast, off South Carolina. But, yeah, we got a balloon up there, don't know what it is, don't know anything about it, but we're keeping an eye on it, and it is not a threat. They're already telling us, which, as far as I can tell, is the standard response that we get from the federal government. Nothing is ever a threat 
until we actually find out that it is. And the White House and the Pentagon are probably going to keep us in the dark as long as they possibly can. That's how the Biden administration rolls. Now, on that note, I'll invite your phone calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Emails go to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our poll on X at Show. And Veronique DeRougie joins me now, who's a senior research fellow at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. Veronique, welcome back on a Friday. Thank you for having me, Lars. I'm really angry about the fact that the Supreme Court had told Joe Biden once, you don't have the legal authority under the HEROES Act to pay off four-tenths of a trillion dollars in student loans for students who don't want to pay them back and they want somebody else to pay their, their student loans. And Joe Biden announced right after that, well, I'm going to find other ways to do it. I want to know what you think about this latest effort where he announced on Wednesday he was going to cancel $1.2 billion in student debt, meaning he was going to have the rest of the American taxpayers, most of whom have not gone to college, pay for the bad college debt of about 153,000 Americans. What, what should we make of that? I, I think we should, be, um, we should be angry, as you are. I don't know about the legality of it. I'm not a lawyer. So I think it's kind of uh, it's uh, daring to do this right after the Supreme Court decision. Uh, but the thing that is really kind of worrying me the most about all of this, I mean, everything you said about the student loans and who it's going to benefit, um, it's usually higher income um, Americans. And they're, as you said, going to be it's going to be paid back with taxes from uh, people who either haven't gone to college or lower income, but um, effectively, it's uh, it's a really a transfer for uh, for for the the middle class. But what worries me is just the debt. We have we have a debt. The latest CBO budget came out a few weeks ago, and I think you and I talked about it. And it's a lot of rosy scenario that CBO makes because it has no choice. It's part of its mandate um, to assume that things are going to happen as, 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 as it's written in the law currently. And what we know is that within five years, we're going to, under the rosy assumption, these rosy assumptions, we're going to uh, end up in the $2 trillion uh, deficit uh, territory permanently, effectively permanently. And uh, we're going to um, head to level of debt we've never seen in the U.S., uh, especially in time of peace, we are um, we're going we're heading straight to 180 percent of GDP. And the thing that's the most worrisome about all of this is that um, the president knows this. We are still fighting inflation, and if there's one thing that he should know that is probably not going to happen is like we're not going to go to 180 percent of GDP in debt without suffering from serious inflation. And what does he do from the beginning since the end of the pandemic? He's been saying, we're going to be sending um, the message to investors that while we don't have money, uh, we're going to be adding to the debt, which means, you know, I just maybe at some point, we're not going to be able to be able to repay everyone. Does that mean a national default on America's debt, which has also never happened? So inflation, right, is a form of default for sure. sure. Uh, but there is a case scenario. Everyone thinks that, that the U.S. could never default on its debt. And it's and it and and the most case scenario. I mean, in the most likely scenario, the the U.S. will not default on its debt, except 
there's a there's a so a third of our debt is short term, and I think there is a possibility that at some point we are going to have a short term rollover crisis where really investors are going to think um, uh, at a big scale, so much bigger than what we've experienced in 2021. They're going to think, okay, so you know what, the fiscal authorities are not doing their job of stabilizing the debt. Um, and they're piling on. And, uh, you know, the, the, the debt is really, is, uh, treasuries are an asset like every other asset. And right. the, the payoff of these assets are, are future uh, primary surpluses. And, and there's just none of that. There's just, they're just, there's none of that. We're in primary deficit for forever and ever. And they're growing. And they're going to worry that the Federal Reserve is going to actually um, take the role of fiscal authority and stabilize the debt through inflation. And the moment they start worrying about this, um, they're going to take action really quickly today to actually demand higher interest rates. And if we happen, they happen to have this word, and of course, when I say it happens really quickly, it's because so much of our debt has a maturity of less than a year that we're gonna, they're going to start asking higher interest rates. And then the, the problem with this is like if we're at a time where we're in an emergency where um, like we've experienced last time, you know, you increase the debt to GDP by 20%, then they're going to be asking for serious um, increase in interest rates or even decide that, you know, uh, treasuries are just not a good investment. And then that's where I think things could cut. Well, could I mean, I guess well. to put this in personal terms, they're going to say, if you want to borrow money and you now look like some guy with a 550 credit score, we'll loan you money. But it's going to cost you, thir- you know, some some gigantic amount of interest, right? Yeah, and the, the yeah, and the, in the, the the thing is that people need to understand that inflation emerges uh, often when investors are worried about being repaid, right? And 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 one of the one of the implicit fiscal rules we've had for the entire history of this the history of this country, which we don't have anymore that's like seriously weakening is like we will spend money during emergencies, but uh, when when the crisis is over, we'll scale back. Yep. Right. And, we pay it back and on, or, another, or reduce yeah, and, it. Yeah. And, and we haven't done any of that. In fact, the Biden administration not only haven't had the conversation about austerity, it's been piling on and just trying to push through our throat things like student cancellation. Uh, debt forgiveness and things like this. And apparently, even if the Supreme Court says, no, no, this is not okay, uh, it's trying to kind of get at it another way. Now, it's not as big as it was, but it's pretty significant. I think from what I read, it's like $138 billion. Uh, the other one was $400 billion. So it, it wasn't, you know, it, it's not it's not small. It's really, um, and so um, the the worry, right, is like so you have you have that, and you and until now, what investors have, have learned about the U.S. is that eventually, Congress does something. They they figure out a way to increase future primary surpluses. Either they'll cut taxes, they'll cut spending, or they'll cut taxes, deregulate, um, jumpstart the economy, uh, have major growth. And and but also do fiscal fiscal um, adjustments oh, like in the eighties a lot of that happened, but at some point they may lose their faith and that's when we're going to see inflation break 
Unbelievable. That is Veronique Desrougis. He's Senior Research Fellow at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. Veronique, thank you very much. We'll be back in just a moment. I'll get to your phone calls and emails. And as you know, naysayers always go to the head of the list on the Lars Larson Show. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line. If you want to send an email instead, talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, you can always vote in our poll on X. Questions there every day at Lars Larson Show. You can also find it on my website at LarsLarson.com. Back in just a moment. Lars Larson Show. This is McGruff the Crime Dog. Exercising the right to free speech every day. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you, especially on a First Amendment Friday. I got to ask you something. You remember when Donald Trump got impeached, not just once, but twice. Can you imagine what would have happened? Republicans were in charge of the Senate during Donald Trump's first impeachment trial. If the Republicans had simply said, you know what? I know the House has impeached Donald Trump. We refuse to hold a hearing. Can you imagine liberal heads exploding or spinning around or catching fire? I can. But now we've got the reverse situation. We've got uh, we've got a situation where the Democrats are in charge of the U.S. Senate. The House has voted to impeach, and he deserves it. The Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, and it doesn't sound like the Democrats have any inclination to hold a trial at all. So I thought I'd put it to our friend Laura Reese, who is a senior research fellow for Homeland Security at Heritage and former acting deputy chief of staff for the Department of Homeland Security. Ms. Reese, welcome back. Thanks for having me on. So is there a way to make sure that the Senate actually holds a trial? to dis- I mean, if they hold the trial and the Democrats all want to vote and say, yeah, sure, my orcas didn't do anything wrong, I'm okay with that. But it sounds like they're going to avoid it altogether. Well, and that's exactly why the Democrats don't want to hold the trial, because they don't want to defend this guy. They know that he's indefensible, and they know they themselves have lost uh, faith and confidence in Secretary Mayorkas, and certainly the Americans have. Uh, so it comes down to a pressure campaign. A number of senators, Ted Cruz and others, have signed a letter to Chuck Schumer saying, hold the trial, a real trial, not a one-day circus trial. Um, and it's up to the American public to also call up Chuck Schumer and other senators and say, yes, we need a real trial because this administration has operated in such secrecy, the Americans de- deserve to see the evidence fully on display and have a lot of questions answered. Is there any other workaround to either uh, using parliamentary mo- maneuvers to force some kind of action by Schumer? Or does this all come down to public pressure if that actually cha- would change Schumer's mind? 
Yeah, I mean, my understanding is there's a few options. Uh, he could send it to a trial committee. He could table it, which kills it immediately. Um, or he can hold, you know, a, a brief trial on, on the floor. So um, those seem to be the options. And But right now, we need to try and move Schumer off of just tabling it and holding a real trial and make those senators uh, gather the evidence, consider the evidence, and have Americans see it. Do you think, and you think public pressure might do the trick there? Um, I, I hope so. I mean, we, we need as many Americans calling up the Senate and telling them, yes, hold this hearing, we deserve it. Um, I mean, the other option is if this fails, uh, if there aren't enough votes, then the next strongest tool that Congress has is the power of the purse, and that is making sure that Congress doesn't fund the NGOs and the sanctuary cities, which are keeping this whole machinery running. And there are lots of data points where the NGOs are running out of money and begging for more. Uh, and it's really important that, that Congress not refill their coffers. You know, it's funny, the other day, Miseries, uh, I saw Homeland Security claim that because I've been saying it for a while that when these illegals show up at the border that in many cases they're given either a bus ride or an airplane ride elsewhere in America and that that is funded uh, by the American taxpayer now I think I know how, what they're doing Homeland has said no no we're not paying for it is it actually the truth that monies that are flowing say to the United Nations uh, are then going to NGOs and the NGOs are actually buying the airplane tickets is that how they're able to claim with a straight face that American taxpayers are not paying for these airplane tickets to fly illegals all over the country? Well, the NGOs are buying the tickets, but the NGOs are getting federal grants through right. multiple departments. So there is you know, hundreds of millions of dollars flowing out of the State Department that goes to the UN International Organization of Migration, for example. So those go to the NGOs outside of the U.S. And they're setting up and, and have set up quite an operation from northern South America all the way up to the U.S. border. Um, and there are other federal grants going to NGOs from Department of Homeland Security through FEMA, for example, uh, from Health and Human Services. Go the, um, they give federal grants to uh, NGOs that are responsible for sheltering and feeding uh, refugees and unaccompanied alien children, and then other federal grants go, go to Justice Department. So, so if, if yes, we ignore the American money system. laundering through State Department and other federal agencies and then through the NGOs, it's still laundered taxpayer money that's paying the cost. Yes, and in many instances, uh, we've, we're talking faith-based organizations like Catholic Charities and Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Services, et cetera, et cetera. And now these, these faith-based organizations have gotten so used to these federal grants that they lobby for more, and they receive more money from the federal government than they do church donations at this point. Um, so it's become quite a uh, industrial complex. 
Let me ask you something else. Let's assume that Schumer successfully blocks at tables that has a simple majority vote and says we're not going to hear it. Are the Republicans capable? I understand this this might be a little outside the norm, but then again, shipping illegals to Martha's Vineyard was outside the norm, but it seemed to have an effect. Could the Republicans simply say, fine, we'll we'll get a room and we'll hold a trial and we'll put the evidence on display and we'll do that uh, to to tell the American public this is a trial that Chuck Schumer and the Democrats would not allow. Here's the evidence. You decide. Um, Is there a way to do that? I know it's a PR move, but on the other hand, all of this communication is a PR move. Yes, and, and, and the House had that that opportunity to do that type of trial that you're describing. Um, they, they went a, a different route. Uh, Chairman Mark Green did a five-part investigation. He issued multiple significant reports. He interviewed Border Patrol agents. He released those transcripts. Uh, he had hearings with you know, victims, families, et cetera. Um, they invited Secretary Mayorkas to come testify. He didn't. Uh, so I, I don't foresee, given that we're in late February and it's an election year and Biden is still quite eligible for impeachment, I don't see them spending their remaining time doing that. Do you think Biden's going to get impeached? Because I know they're making all the right motions, but they've dragged this process out forever. But between his other activities and the border, isn't there enough to meet the high crimes and misdemeanor standard? Oh, oh, absolutely. Bribery alone. I, I don't I haven't even counted up the number of articles they could charge against Biden, um, but they should absolutely do it. And yes, they are running out of time. Absolutely right. Laura, thanks for the work you do at Heritage. We appreciate it. And thanks for your service at Homeland Security. Well, thanks for having me on. Thank you, ma'am. That's Laura Reese, who is a senior research fellow now at the Heritage Foundation in Homeland Security, former acting deputy chief of staff for the Department of Homeland Security. It's First Amendment Friday. Your phone calls and your emails are welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. You can send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. You can answer our poll question on X. Scientific articles says, hey, That uh, taboo against cannibalism, that's old-fashioned. Are you ready to eat humans? You can answer the question at Lars Larson Show on X or on our website at LarsLarson.com. the sound of freedom. Here's Lars Larson. All Americans, not only in the states most heavily affected, but in every place in this country are rightly disturbed by the large numbers of illegal aliens entering our country. Hey, do you recognize the voice of the horny hick from Arkansas? Yeah, that's right. That's Billy Clinton. And that was back in 1995. And you might be asking yourself about now, a little more than a quarter century later, 
How in the world did they go from Bill Clinton saying we're disturbed by the number of illegal aliens entering? At the time, there were about a thousand people a day, 300,000 a year entering the United States. Now that grew to a much larger number under Obama, and then it shrank to the smallest number in American history under President Donald Trump. And what did Joe Biden do? He marched into office. And he immediately, or well, fairly immediately, signed 94 executive orders reversing everything that President Trump had done. And yet Bill Clinton at the time was saying you've got to enforce the borders. In fact, take a listen to the second half of that soundbite. That's why our administration has moved aggressively to secure our borders more by hiring a record number of new border guards, by deporting twice as many criminal aliens as ever before, by cracking down on illegal hiring, by barring welfare benefits to illegal aliens. In the budget I will present to you, we will try to do more to speed the deportation of illegal aliens who are arrested for crimes, to better identify illegal aliens in the workplace as recommended by the commission headed by former Congresswoman Barbara Jordan. And I'm not going to tell you any day of the week that Bill Clinton was, you know, something to write home about when it came to illegal aliens. But when you take that list of all the things he said we're going to do, uh, and you say, well, what's Joe Biden doing? I say 180 degrees, the opposite direction. That's what Joe Biden has been doing. And for three years now, we've had Joe Biden and everybody who works for him saying why the president is doing all he can do. Let me give you the quotes. Biden said, I've done all I can do. Give me the power. Alejandro Mayorkas, the impeached Secretary of Homeland Security, said, we have taken executive actions already. And Corrie Jean-Pierre, the affirmative action mouthpiece for Borden, for Biden, says there's no executive action that the president can take. Well, guess what? Now that the president realizes he's in huge trouble with the public over what's going on to the border, he says, I'm going to take executive action now, except that for, as I said, three years, we've had everybody who sides with Biden saying it isn't possible, like Representative Dan Goldman, who said it can only be addressed by legislation. That's Congress, not by executive action. And you've got Representative Senator Chris Murphy, Democrat, who says it's just not true that Biden already has the authority to secure the border. Now, the fact is, like I said, 300,000 per year crossing into America illegally under Bill Clinton. And he thought that was a problem. And he said he would take action. And to a large extent, he did. Joe Biden this year will have more than three million people cross this year. And all of a sudden, he's waited till the last minute before he said, hey, I can take executive action. The very thing that Biden and Corrine Jean-Pierre and Mayorkas and everybody else on the left has said the president doesn't have the authority. And now they've decided it's an election emergency. All of a sudden, he has the authority. To your calls on a First Amendment Friday, let's start with Glenn. Hey, Glenn, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars. Got a quick question on um, all this scuttlebutt that they're hollering at Donald Trump about his comment that he made about NATO, or if a country uh, doesn't pay their bill, just go ahead and let them invade, and and uh, we might deal with it, we might not deal with it. But if I'm not correct, when Russia was doing their supposable war games along the border of Ukraine, didn't Biden make the comment that a small invasion would be okay? Yes, he did. And and I'll go back and remember, Ukraine is not a NATO country. And part of the reason we're in this problem is that 
Putin felt threatened by the idea that we were toying with the idea of making NATO a Ukraine a NATO country. But you're right. And I've been citing that for the last two years because the war began about two years ago and just not quite two years ago. We haven't quite reached the two year mark. But at the time, a reporter, a young lady stood up and asked Joe Biden, well, but what if Russia actually invades Ukraine? And Joe Biden said, well, if it's a small invasion, we might not, you know, we we will have to decide what we're going to do. He was sending all the messages that virtually begged uh, Putin to invade Ukraine. Say, if it's small, you know, maybe won't do anything. But, you know, this business about NATO countries should live up to their agreements. You understand that they're not paying dues to the United States or to NATO. What the NATO agreement says is every country has 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 committed to to uh, paying a certain percentage of its own GDP into its own defense. Now, why is that important? Because if you're a member of NATO and you say, "Oh, we're in NATO. If somebody invades us, we'll just call the United States and they'll be, they'll they'll haul all the freight for us. They'll they'll make it happen." No, the deal was. NATO works if its members provide for their own defense, they're less likely to be invaded. And then if they are, an act against one is an act against all. I think that's, uh, that's the fifth uh, vow or the fifth promise in NATO is that an attack on one is an attack on, the, on all. But if all the, and there were a lot of countries in Western Europe that just simply over the years said, ah, don't worry about it. Let the U.S. taxpayer fund the defense of our country. We don't have to live up to our agreement. And Trump threatened them. And frankly, I think that should be the threat. And Glenn, can I give you an example? That, and, and there's a real-life example. There's probably more than one, but I know of one in particular. There was a school district, and the school district was part of a rural fire protection district. This actually happened. And uh, they they decided, you know, we're paying all this money into this rural fire protection district. It's costing us a lot. Let's just drop those payments. And they did. Now, that's like somebody having a car and not carrying full coverage on it. If you total your car, too bad. The car is gone. Because the school district assumed they're going to still put out the fire if our school catches fire. Well, guess what? Not long after they made that stupid decision to stop paying the, into the rural fire protection district, their school caught fire. And you know what? The fire department showed up and they just stood there and watched it while it burned. Now, Glenn, I understand that people take offense to the idea of saying to NATO countries, if you're not pulling your, your, the weight you agreed to pull, why should we come and defend, and defend you? And I don't, I don't blame Trump for saying that. I would expect Americans to say that. To say, look, we're not paying for your defense. If you want to be part of this defensive group, you agree to c contribute your share to your own defense, meaning hire your own so soldiers and sailors and Marines, and then nobody's going to invade you. Instead, these countries have all gone on the cheap, said we'd rather spend our money on something else. The U.S. will take care of us, even though we haven't held up our end of the bargain. I don't blame Trump one little bit. Tell those countries you either live up to the agreement you signed or you don't get the benefits of the agreement you signed. And I'd be glad to talk to a naysayer about that any day of the week. It's First Amendment Friday. Glad to get your calls. 866-HEY-LARS. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Looking for a new way to 